0: We're in Samoa. It's 1973. We're on a remote island and we enter a hut. We see a young missionary unable to move, in pain.
1: Before I went on my mission, I had a congenital a health issue, which is very serious, and spent time in the hospital with him probing and the internists and that. So I was surprised I didn't even got sent out of the country. I went to Samoa. Well, they took one look at me in Samoa, and sent me to the most remote archipelago, the most remote island. I was out there not very long, and I became desperately ill.
0: That was Paul Allen Cox, the missionary we saw in that hut. I met Mr. Cox years ago in high school. I don't recall exactly when or in what circumstance, but he was Jane's dad and Jane was my friend. Little did I know that one day I would be interviewing him and would hear what became of that missionary and what he went on to do. I'm Rebecca Devonis, and you're listening to In the Book. This is a podcast where we flood the earth with testimonies of the Book of Mormon. Our guest today is renowned ethnobotanist Dr. Paul Allen Cox, who has lived for years in remote island villages searching for new medicines. He was named one of Time Magazine's 11 Heroes of Medicine for his discovery of a new HIV-AIDS drug candidate. He was also awarded the Goldman Environmental Prize. Seacology, the island conservation not-for-profit he founded, has set aside over 1.5 million acres of rainforest and coral reef in 67 countries around the world. He is the executive director of the Brain Chemistry Labs in Jackson, Wyoming, where he and his colleagues are searching for new treatments for degenerative diseases like ALS and Alzheimer's disease. We're going to walk back in time to a few different scenes of Paul's life, and each one is connected to a scripture in the Book of Mormon that he chose. Without further ado, let's get back to Samoa, our first stop. You're probably wondering what happened to that missionary. Did the congenital health issue go away, and the missionary serve an uninterrupted and healthy mission on the island? Well, Paul stayed on his mission, but he didn't magically get better right away. He did, however, become the recipient of unexpected service.
1: Our branch president was a man named Al Malosi. This guy had walked eight miles one way to come down almost every day. Occasionally he'd miss a few, but very few. To teach me Samoan. His pedagogical technique was basically saying syllables that to my ear, sound like booga 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 i mean i don't know what he's saying and then he made me repeat them and sometimes he'd bring some of his chiefly friends along and they they get great amusement from hearing me parrot these words but i became extremely ill and um he came down one day and by this time i'd I'd learned enough samoan that i could say i'm sorry i can't have our lesson today i'm sick and he said uh that's not why i'm here he took this coconut basket and he spilled it out on the mat next to me, and out f- all these little cans of wadi's pears from New Zealand and uh, ginger snaps and uh, condensed milk. And I realized that this man had taken all the money he had in the world and had gone over to the trader over in Saucina Village and bought this imported stuff. And then he said to me, he says, "Look, we don't know why you're sick." So- Maybe you're sick because you're not used to our food. These things came from where you came from. Eat them instead. Well, I was totally shattered because uh, I'd never had anybody do that for me before. Give me every cent they had in the world. Just try out me. Ether 1227. And if men come unto me I will show unto them their weakness. I give unto men weakness, that they may be humble. And my grace is sufficient for all men that humble themselves before me. For if they humble themselves before me and have faith in me, then will I make weak things become strong unto them." It doesn't say he will remove the weakness. (laughs) What happened was by the people caring for me. Because of my weakness, my congenital illness, I decided that I wanted to care for them when I got in a position to do so. And so I decided the best way I could do that would be to study the rainforest that they love so much and try to find a way to help them.
0: Not only did it direct his career, it became a default setting for Paul, as we see years later when he found himself back in Samoa and a rainforest was about to collapse.
1: Bro, we were in this little village with just the kids, the school books and my research gear living in a hut without electricity running water the loggers came to cut the forest down the people were just heartbroken i asked for a chance to meet with the chiefs i asked them why they let the loggers in they said well we're a poor village we have to come up with eighty-five thousand dollars to build this school if we don't build it the government will take the teachers away I said, well, what if we could raise the money to build your school? Boom. They sent some chiefs up with machetes, think of that, to chase away the loggers and the bulldozers. I came back to Barbara. Good news we've saved a thirty thousand acre rainforest. Maybe one of the biggest in the island Pacific. Uh, bad news is we're gonna have sell our house or car. And, you know, you know, if your marriage is working a moment like that, Barbara looked in my eyes and took my hand and said, What a great opportunity, Paul. How many times in life we're gonna get something to do like, not a chance to do something like this? Let's go for it. So we started cashing out, and our friends and family found out. Rex Mon, Ken Murdoch, made large gifts, and within six weeks, I had $85,000, and we didn't even lose our house. Uh, we built the schools, and then started the Psychology Foundation. And now in uh, 67 countries, I think we've built 375 schools, hospitals, medical clinics in return for people protecting their coral reefer forests. Only well, set aside 1.5 million acres. I didn't have my illness removed, but uh, uh, it instilled in me a commitment to do whatever I could to help the Polynesian people.
0: Another group of people in humble circumstances were those who fled from the tyranny of the ancient King Noah in the Book of Mormon. Mosiah 18 tells of a group of exiles persecuted for their beliefs who retreat to a secluded location to practice their sacred rites. When I think of Mormon, I picture lush vegetation growing effortlessly in springs and waterfalls of fresh water, unnoticed by an outside world, a paradise of sorts, maybe a sort of Samoan rainforest. While I don't know if it looked like the paradise I've painted in my mind, the account does say that it was on the borders of the land and in it was a fountain of pure water a sustaining force for the inhabitants who were hiding there from the searches of the king. They were living in constant peril. But it was the price they were willing to pay because Mormon was a place where they heard the word of God. Mormon was a place where they gained or reinforced their spiritual convictions. Mormon was a place abounding in baptisms. The record says that all this was done in Mormon, yea, by the waters of Mormon, in the forest that was near the waters of Mormon. How beautiful are they to the eyes of them who there came to the knowledge of their Redeemer. Yea, and how blessed are they, for they shall sing to his praise forever.
1: I like this because they're saying, can you remember where you got your testimony? Can you remember where you first felt the Spirit of the Lord?
0: For Paul, it was a particular place of rugged beauty, where jagged peaks rise over rolling green meadows and carpets of pine trees.
1: My dad was a park ranger in Grand Teton National Park running a trail crew. I noticed one of his workers just kept up 6 in the morning and in the forest. Finally, I asked him. Where are going out there he said, I like to start my day like right. I go out and read the good book. And I thought, well, I'll do what Red Roach's doing. I started reading the, te- the New Testament. I live in Jackson Hole. I have a window and a sort of cabin. We look out on the Tetons. I like to try visit, actually, the spot where I really first felt Spirit of the Lord sometimes. and so I totally get this verse here that uh, these little people are hiding from oppressors, trying to you know, you know practice their faith that that was a precious place to them. If there's a geography of faith, if you have a place where you really felt touched by Heavenly Father, maybe it's not such a bad thing to go back to that place and see if there's an echo.
0: Where is that place for you if there is a place? Where on the map of planet Earth are your Waters of Mormon? And have you gone back to hear the echo? Some years before Alma and his followers would find refuge at the Waters of Mormon, King Benjamin gave a speech to his kingdom that has become revered scripture, detailing the essence of Christianity.
1: And just for people that don't know the Book of Mormon well, King Benjamin gave a speech that which was transformational for an entire generation. Of people. Here's King Benjamin. And behold, I tell you these things that you may learn wisdom, that you may learn that when you are in the service of your fellow beings, you are only in the service of your God. And also ye yourselves will succour those that stand in need of your succour. You will administer of your substance unto him that standeth in need, and you will not suffer the beggar putteth up his petition to you in vain. And turned him out to perish. And I bootlegged in a little verse, a little piece of verse 19. Are we not all beggars?
0: That rhetorical question came to the forefront of Paul's mind one evening when he was a student at Harvard University on his way to a seafood dinner with a prominent evolutionary biologist.
1: Imagine, you know, you're a thriving graduate student and then the top guy in your field invites you to dinner. So I ran home, grabbed some cash, I'm running down Massachusetts Avenue there in Cambridge trying to get to this dinner on time. But as I'm running down, I see a guy, an old guy, and he sort of has his hand out a little bit, and he's talking. And I'm running so fast, this guy's like Doppler shifted. He's red shifted. And I made it about three blocks because my conscience just got to me. I remembered this verse. just came back to me, uh, which is, well, you suffer, the beggar put it up his petition to you in vain. So I stopped. I ran back to this guy, and I said, excuse me, sir. You were trying to say something to me when I was running past you. What were you trying to say? And he said to me, I'm hungry. Can you help me? And I looked at him, and I mean, this guy's old enough to be my dad. And he was gone. And I realized he wasn't lying to me. This, this poor man hadn't eaten. He had holes in his shoes that he put newspaper into to try to keep warm. And I just thought, oh, my. You know, so I took him into a restaurant, and I gave the, the uh, waitress. It was a lot of money for me as a graduate student. I can't remember what it was, $25, $30, whatever it was. She looked at him askance when he came in. And I said, look, would you please give my friend whatever he wants to eat? And then keep the rest for a tip for yourself. So, yes, he said, sure. And I ran to my meeting. I thought, you know, if I hadn't stopped for this man, he might have died. It was a cold November day in Cambridge, Mass. He didn't have a cold. That changed the way I look at people in trouble. I think the Book of Mormon is a manual more than a theological treatise. I think about Christ... But he did, and then if we all obeyed what he told us to do, to love one another, to be forgiving, to be kind, to de-escalate, uh, to treat others as his children. And to me, the Book of Mormon really is a testament, a new testament of Jesus Christ.
0: Back in the summer of this year after this interview with Paul Cox, I hopped in my car to run an errand heading straight for the freeway. As I pulled up to the light, ahead on the sidewalk in front of me was a man selling roses. My thoughts flew back to the interview with Paul. I thought of the young graduate student running along a cold Cambridge road and seeing a man near death call out to him. I thought of King Benjamin's rhetorical question, are we not all beggars? And though I didn't know the situation of this man selling the roses, I rolled down my window. I stuck my arm out of the window and waved him down. I told him I didn't have any cash, but that I would go get some and come back. Would he be there? I asked, hopeful. He said that for a few minutes he would. I got on the freeway and got off the next exit. I pulled into a gas station and ran inside. I bought a banana and asked for cash back. I jumped in the car, praying all the way back that he would be at that same freeway entrance. To my relief, the man with the roses had not left. I rolled down my window a second time, asked for one rose, and handed him the banana and cash. Would I have done that as eagerly had I not heard Paul's interview that day?
1: The other thing I'd say is that I've found that service is seldom convenient. Just like me running past that poor man who hadn't eaten for several days. And I was so anxious to get on with my career. I mean, service opportunities leap out. And I think, okay, God brought this person into my orbit. How can I help them? I think a lot of times people are brought into our orbits when God brings them there. And I really believe that in so many ways, I think President Kimball said something like this, that we can pray for miracles, but it's actually the hands and hearts of human beings that make those miracles happen. We're here to care for each other. And uh, that's why it's seldom convenient to do service. But boy, when that opportunity knocks you think, I'm not just helping this guy. That could have been Jesus standing there.
0: Running to the aid of other people has remained a guiding principle throughout Dr. Cox's career. Paul is constantly working to find cures and treatments for some of today's most dreaded diseases. And this is where we get into cyanobacteria. You might have heard of it, and maybe not. I hadn't before this interview. Cyanobacteria are single-celled organisms found in all types of water. Also, they happen to be the Earth's oldest organism. Much of Dr. Cox's research has focused on the link between cyanobacteria and degenerative neural diseases like Alzheimer's or ALS or Parkinson's disease. But before they were helping scientists like Dr. Cox unravel medical mysteries, they had another job to do.
1: Over billions of years, all these little cyanobacteria do is they get the light and they split water. split the same thing every day. Let's split this into hydrogen and oxygen and I'll take the electrons. Thank you. Boom. I mean, three and a half million years they built the oxygen atmosphere of the earth. And then it was actually suitable for people to live on it. So, uh, small means. The Lord uses small means to bring about great things.
0: Paul noted that nature is full of tiny details that add up to testify of the existence of God.
1: And Alma said, The scriptures lay before thee, and all things denote there is a God, even the earth, all things upon the face of it, its motion, and all the planets which move in the regular form do witness that there is a supreme creator. When I walk through the rainforest and I look up at the uh, canopy of leaves and see the light filtering through it, I feel as if I were in a cathedral. I feel as if I'm seeing the face of God.
0: I asked Paul what he would say to someone who doesn't have any sort of belief in God.
1: Read the Book of Mormon. Read the Book of Mormon. Read the Book of Mormon. That will do more to change your life than any other book.
0: And as the scientist that he is, Dr. Cox added,
1: uh, You can pray and ask Heavenly Father's True. That's called an experiment in science. Here's the meritorials and methods. Here's what you do. You pray about it. You read it. Here's the results, and millions of people have done that. Millions of people. I know some people don't feel they've been touched by God, and God touches all of us in very different ways. Faith is like a small flame. We make an experiment. We see that the flame grows brighter, and we take the next experiment. We continue to move on. This is what uh, we're taught. So, again, my view is if you really want to... uh, believe in God or you're curious, read the Book of Women.
0: Going back to cyanobacteria, I think of how powerful something so tiny and microscopic and unassuming can be. I think of how one person could completely alter the trajectory of their entire career because of a Samoan chief's act of kindness in an hour of grave illness. I think of how an entire rainforest, and now many, many more, have been saved because a couple cared enough to do something about it when they saw the trees falling. I think of how one person could have a profound experience with God walking in the Tetons. I think of how one light of scripture from a king who lived thousands of years ago spurred the small gesture of Paul running back on a Cambridge road to buy a dinner for a man near his deathbed on a cold fall day. I think about how the tiniest details in nature point to God, and I think of how, really, like Nephi says, out of small things are great things brought to pass. Has the Book of Mormon changed your life? Send your story to in the book at scripturecentral.org. This is a Scripture Central podcast directed by James Dalrymple, and I produce this episode with script contributions by Ryan Coons. I'm Rebecca Devonis, and this is In the Book.